Hello, you. So I've just spoke to my old boss on my podcast. Uh, this was one of the uh, the first bosses, first real bosses I ever had when I became a designer. He was the creative director of the agency that I was working at at the time. He's called Dave. He's a fascinating guy, despite his name, Dave. And in this episode, I've called it the art of niching down because what Dave has really done really well throughout his entire career is going from designer to not so much a designer to starting a niche design agency to kind of starting a consulting company to now having a business around his entire life passion, which is veganism, vegan business tribe. So this episode is really interesting because it, it's, it's really cool to see how someone as, as well as Dave has managed to niche down. And we talk about marketing and the idea of creating an audience and why we both think creating an audience is now the single focus that anybody should have, regardless of what business they're making. So I think you'll really enjoy this episode. This is episode 210. Can't believe we're on that now with Dave Pennell. Cue the music. I'm sorry to disappoint you, right? Nobody could see you dancing right then. That was amazing. That, that is a brilliant <laughs> intro music. Where did you get that from, Craig? Uh, oh, I forgot the name of the website. It's the site I use for all my royalty-free music. You pay for it. It's about 70 quid or something. But uh, yeah, it's got loads of cool music on. The one I'm using more now is one called Epi- Epidemic Sound. Yeah, yeah. Obviously yeah. a bit of a weird name right now. But yeah, absolutely. I know there's a few amazing sites out there that do stuff like that. And now you've said it, I can't remember which one I use, but they did have the problem of, um, you know, you did pay a fee for the entire year and they've just wrapped all their fees up. So I am looking for a new one. For it once, um, pay for it once and it's yours forever. And to be honest, people aren't really looking around on pod. Not that I'm encouraging you to use, you know, (laughs) illegal music, but people aren't looking around on podcasts to, you know, to clamp down on copyright, unless it's PRS, and they are, they they do look around because they 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 keep they keep pestering us at work at the minute. PRS PPL, if you're listening to this, fuck you. Um, they keep sending us emails about using music at work, and we don't use music at work. Yeah, yeah. But somebody answered the phone. This is massively off topic, but it's annoying me. Somebody answered the phone at work, and they they basically like stung him. So they, they, they said, uh, oh, I, I, can I hear music in the background? Uh, standard like, line, standard line. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes, oh, how many people work there? And within a couple of sentences, we had an invoice. Uh, just, just scum, just scum. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, Craig, on, on to other matters. How long has it been <laughs> since we've actually spoken? Uh, well, we, we probably spoke a, a couple of years ago, didn't we? In a pizza hut, I think it was. Was that last time we spoke? I think it probably was, yeah. I, I'm beginning to think you just don't love me anymore, Craig. <laughs> well, we spoke in a pizza hut, so we've met a few times since then, but you used to be my boss. That's probably the thing to say. 
many, many years ago. And I was actually trying to work out, how, just as your intro music was playing, 13, 14 years ago, maybe, did I give you your first job? Yeah, so I'm 33 now, yeah. so it must be, th- it'll be 33 years? Fifth, God, you make, 33 God, you years. Make, you are making me feel old. And I actually remember when you first came to see us, because you were at Wakefield College, weren't you, on, on their, um, what became their FDA web design course. Yeah. And it was, uh, it, it was interesting because we just started up the design mechanics as the company I used to own back then. And that was, um, yeah, it will have been about 14, 15 years ago when, when we set that up. And, and you were in our second, our second wave of employees. But I, I remember you coming down to our office as it was then. And, and at the time, we were just working out of a terraced house. And we'd interviewed maybe eight people, nine people for our job. And I think you were the first person who walked in opened up your portfolio and I said, actually, this guy could do the job tomorrow. And it's amazing how many people would apply for a graphic design job, bring out a portfolio and they've not got one finished piece of work in there. It's all like sketchbook work or it's like, you know, low res printed out stuff. And when I looked at what you'd done, it was like, yeah, this guy actually, I could give him a job tomorrow. And I think it was like some, some car dealership that you'd branded up or something like that. So actually probably a really terrible job that you yeah. wouldn't admit to now, but I think that's what you brought in your portfolio. Well, I'd, I'd had a, I'd had a part-time design job for, for a couple of months before I came to you yeah. whilst I was, whilst I was learning at college. Uh, and I learned so much on that job and, it, and I was lucky because it was a, it was a car rental firm, but the, the, uh, the CEO was quite entrepreneurial. So he got me doing all sorts of stuff. Um, so I, I had this, um, kind of portfolio of weird and wonderful stuff, even though it was a boring vehicle rental company. Uh, yeah, so I, I I think I just brought that down to you, showed you it, and the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> yeah, brilliant history. I mean, that comes back to, you know, what you actually do learn when you're at college and uni and stuff like that. I mean, I, I went to university, did the four-year BA, but I actually learned everything on my placement year. And it was actually, I went off to work for a publishing company for my placement year. And I was learning so much that I didn't want to go back to uni. And my tutors actually said to me, look, you're learning far more there than we can ever teach you. So keep doing it. And we will support you as much as we can to actually get you through your last year without you actually having to be here, without you being on site. So let's take all the work you're doing for this company and let's make that into your coursework. So they're actually really supportive. But without that year, I'd have learned nothing. I'd have learned nothing about print. I'd learned nothing about design. I'd learned nothing about, you know, just communicating with customers and everything else I learned on the job. So absolutely, I'm not surprised that you learned that on the job rather than at college or uni. Well, yeah, I, I kind of want to turn it to you though, because so when, so I was 18, I joined the Design Mechanics, which was your company at the time. Mm. You'd already been, um, you'd already had your own design agency before you started Design Mechanics. Yeah. You'd already been a designer for a real long time. And now, uh, do you even call yourself a designer anymore? I mean, I mean, not not now. No, I, I mean, it's it's nice to have that design skill, um, but you, you kind of have to look at where I started out. I mean, I started out in web, you know, which is pretty much where you started out as well. Yeah. But back in the nineties, I think it was nineteen ninety six when I was first building websites, and that's before Google was even online. Um, and it was a case of my first year at university, a local company. 
um, came to the university and said, we need somebody who can build websites because there wasn't such a thing as a web designer back then. Uh, you did not have web design companies. And an average website would have cost you something like 60 to 80,000 pounds because you know, nobody knew how to do it. You were working out as you go along. Um, and I actually had to go down to WH Smith's to buy a book on HTML. And, and that's why I started out. So, you know, they come to the uni and they said, well, we've got David. He's, he's on one of the design courses. He seems to know quite a lot about computers as well. I'm sure he can work out how to do websites. And, and that's, you know, where I started out. And what I really learned was design is something that slots in alongside lots of other stuff. Mm. Um, you know, so I don't know if I've ever gone out and said, I am a designer. I've done design for web. I've done design for print. I've done design for animation. I've done design for um, events. I've done design for anything you could do. Um, but I don't know if I'd have ever said I'm actually a graphic designer. I always wanted just to be able to do communication with clients. So when you look at where my career has gone, yes, started out in the nineties doing web, launched my first design agency in, in 2000. And that's a, that's a whole story on its own. Um, you know, then, um, launched for design mechanics with with a business partner at the time ran that for 12 years um and it's just been actually a really interesting thing to go through because as you find out yourself when you do the same thing for so long you start to get bored of it you know you've got to always be doing things to find your passion again and that's the problem with design sometimes if you're just doing the same sort of designs over and over again you've got to go elsewhere to actually try and find that passion uh, to bring something back into uh, the business and i think one of the best things um, I actually ever did was the novel cuisine challenge that you and I did, uh, you know, and, and that's where we were in a similar sort of headspace at the time. And we said, let's, uh, it was your idea out of mine. You, you challenged me to design a poster every day for 365 days a year. And I actually really looked forward to that because that was actually my little bit of creativity for the day mm. that I had to go and muster up to actually bring that passion back to, you know, keeping that in the job for the work I was doing with clients. Mm. So you went from design mechanics to then, what was it after that? Was it like a consulting agency? Or This was starting to niche down. I, one of the subtitles yeah, of this yeah. episode, by the way, is I, I've got the art of niching down because I think this is something that you've done really well because yeah. you went from designer or web designer or whatever you want to call yourself to a design agency uh, as, as under David Pennell, like, you know, as your name. And then you went to a very niche design agency that worked to a price list. And then you went niche again, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, you know, it's about working it out as you go along. Because one thing, um, you know, I, I, I don't call myself a designer now. The only design I do now is for myself and for my own business. And it's great to be able to have that skills, you know, to have web skills to build for your own company is brilliant. Um, but I spend most of my time now helping other companies build, you know, as you can see uh, up in the corner behind me, you know, Vegan Business Tribe is, is, what, is what I'm running now. It's what I've built now and it's, it's doing really well. But what so many people do is they go out and try to sell the thing that they want to sell rather than actually going and building up an audience and then finding out what the audience wants. So that's what happens when you build a company as well. You, you set up a company being a designer because you want to be a designer. Yep. But if you're out there 
you know, saying I'm going to sell to any company in the world, you are in competition with every other designer in the world. And the more you can say, right, well, I'm not going to sell to every other customer, in, sorry, every company in the world. I'm going to actually find this real niche of business that I can become a known expert in. Then as soon as you're going up against somebody else, if you're a known expert in that field and they're not, you will win the work every time. And that's kind of what I, I found out over years and years of doing the design mechanics. As I said, you know, that company ran for 12, 13 years. Um, but what we started working with was manufacturing companies. And, and that's what I really found my passion in. Now, I've got no passion for manufacturing, um, but I've got a lot of passion for the people who work in manufacturing companies. They are not up themselves. They're real down-to-earth, you know, salt-of-the-earth people. And you could make a real difference in their life. And so I found that if I was working with these manufacturing companies, one, they had some money because if you own a big company that's turning over, you know, 10 million pound a year making widgets, you've got a little bit of spare budget for spending on stuff like websites. You, 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 you don't mind putting a bit of a budget down there. So that was always a positive. But if you can really, like you say, niche down and become an expert in that marketplace, if I was to go up against any other company that weren't experts in manufacturing, I would win the work hands down. And so that's what we did with the design mechanics. We, we got it to the point um, where actually I was wanting to go down this niche of saying, look, every time we, we, we come to a piece of business, which is for a manufacturing company, we win it hands down. And my business partner at the time, I had two business partners at that time, they wanted to go down their own niches. They wanted to do their own things. So the only way we could actually get to that point in the business was saying, well, let's sell our client base. And doing that's quite scary. You know, when you've spent 10, 12 years building up a huge client base and you say, well, let's go and sell the client base to, to another developer company. But we had about 300, 400 websites that we were hosting, you know, making really good revenue off. That was worth something to someone. So we sold um, the client base off to, to another company. And then I focused just on five companies who are our core five main companies, the ones I really wanted to work with, the ones who had the budget and went and set up a new company entirely. And that was purely um, selling and helping manufacturing companies. But it comes down to this idea of being an expert because I'm not a manufacturer myself. I've never worked in manufacturing. But what I knew I could do was I could be very quickly perceived as a manufacturer in that niche because nobody else in the entire world was a marketing and design person for manufacturing companies. Now, looking back at that now, that's the dullest niche you could ever imagine. There is nothing duller. I could have gone out and found an industry to work in. But I was the only person doing it. It was a big marketplace. And it was actually really easy to become an expert really quickly. Yeah, a market of one. Literally a market of one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So where did so where did you go from there then? Because obviously we're at the the vegan thing. We, we're probably going to talk about veganism at some point, uh, <laughs> but let's let's talk about the business stuff first. Yeah, yeah. What made you go from manufacturing to to veganism? I I know I know you was becoming a vegan. I remember that. But what made yeah, you go yeah. right? I'm going to go from manufacturing to a vegan business. Well, the most important advice I've ever had in business is align your passion with how you make a living. Because if you absolutely love what you do, and it's what gets you out of bed in the morning, you will just go that extra mile and you will make something a success just through sheer tenacity. Um, you know, and so that's how we ended up in the vegan marketplace. 
Before I get onto how we get there, though, one thing which is really interesting to me especially is this whole idea of becoming an expert, because I've done it several times now. I've jumped sectors and have become recognized as an expert quite quickly each time I've done it. Um, so when I was saying, right, I'm now this market of one, as you put it, and I, I love that phrase, you know, to say that I am working with manufacturers, I'm working in the manufacturing industry. I couldn't just turn up to a manufacturing company and say, right, I'm an expert in marketing and web for manufacturing companies. I had to be able to prove that somehow. Mm. And so what I did is say, okay, how can I actually become recognized as an expert? And, and it's actually quite easy to do. Um, because if you can get somebody else who's saying you're an expert, then people think you're an expert. And you only actually have to know the thing a day before the person you're talking to to be regarded as an expert in that thing. Because expertise comes at all levels. You don't need to have spent you know, 20 years doing something to actually be an expert. You only need to know more than that person you're talking to. So I said, right, if I'm going to be known as an expert for marketing for manufacturing companies, let's go to the Chartered Institute of Marketing. And I joined, I started hanging around their meetings, and all of a sudden I found myself on their regional board um, and I was talking to them and saying, look, I could do a really good role here with trying to get more manufacturing companies get better at marketing. And they loved the idea. So in a really short amount of time, I'd been a guy who was just a, a standard, you know, designer and uh, web developer and, and with a little bit of marketing on the side to the only person in the country who was an ambassador for the Chartered Institute of Marketing um, acting as their manufacturing ambassador. And that just opens all the doors. Because if you're going to come and ask someone to speak, you know, at a conference for manufacturers, um, you know, are you going to ask the guy down who is a manufacturing ambassador for the Chartered Institute of Marketing to speak? Absolutely, you are. And it was very quick to actually go from being with somebody who wasn't really recognized in this industry to then getting involved with that, being invited to come down. Um, you know, I got invited down to Westminster to be part of a uh, presentation that had all the politicians there and all the cabinet ministers and things like this to talk about the future of manufacturing. Um, very quickly put a guide together to say, um, you know, this is actually the marketing guide for manufacturing companies that got picked up. It got uh, co-branded by other associations, you know, by the local marketing associations, the manufacturing associations and sent out. And it was just everywhere. And all of a sudden, because I'd hit that niche, um, I was recognized as the person to talk to. And that just translates to work straight away. But right. what we were just talking earlier about passion was manufacturing wasn't my passion. It was something I'd realized I was good at and I spoke this language and I could make a difference to these companies really easy and they're, they're great people to work with. But I didn't care about what sproggets they were making. You know, <laughs> once you've, I don't know if you've ever been on a, a tour around a factory, but once you've been around yep. two or three factories, you've pretty much seen the lot. And I was getting invited to, you know, some of the huge, you know, Siemens factories of the futures and things like that to go go look around as the ambassador for a Chartered Institute of Marketing. And I'm looking around going, yeah, this is interesting. It's nice. But <laughs> that my, my, you know, just my passion wasn't there. Yeah. And so that's what led to the whole idea of, you know, running a vegan business because, I had just recently turned vegan um, as my, my partner, Lisa, we, we both turned vegan together. And when you turn vegan, you start out with the food you eat because it's the obvious place to start. And then you move on to the clothes you're wearing, what cosmetics you've got in your house, you know, what, what, what your um, sofa's made out of and all these things. But at some point when you're um, involved with something which is very ethics led and very mission led, at some point you say, well, all my time that I'm spending in the day 
I could be using that to also help the vegan cause. And it's a cause that I feel very, very passionately about. So at some point you say, how can I actually align my passion in life with how I make a living? And then that's just where the magic starts to happen. And what, what you've done as well, you've kind of done a very similar thing to me as well. And I, and I think, um, I think I, I'm going to use the designer. I know you don't recognize the label designer anymore, but there's a reason. Lap it on me. The reason I'm using it is, is because me and you are kind of a dying trade of multidisciplinary marketers, I guess you'd call them. Maybe not designer, yeah. but like multidisciplinary marketer. Um, there's a phrase kicking around the internet, full stack creator. I'm not sure about that one. I don't really like it, but we, me and you both make, make a podcast. You've made YouTube videos and videos and you've, you've made eBooks and things like that. And you talk at conferences and you, and you well-spoken and the, the one core thing of you isn't that you're a designer, you know, you can design things, but you haven't been led by, uh, basically being um that isn't your identity you aren't a, just a designer you are lots of different things and i think because you've gone down that route with your career as well because because you've kept turning your hand to all of these different things it's very easy now to make something like vegan business tribe for you yeah. to ju- you've got all the skills you need because i i honestly believe i tweeted this the other day i think marketing and promotion is the most important part of any business and if you're good at that stuff, everything else is easier, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's an interesting conversation to have. And I know you, you've got a lot of designers who follow you and a lot of developers who follow you as well. Um, but I never thought myself as a multiple discipline designer, you know, when I was learning design and when I was growing up. It's just because you had to be. Um, it wasn't specialized enough to be able to just do one thing. If you were designing a brand for a company, you then had to go on and you had to do the brochure for the company. You then had to go yeah. on and had to do the multimedia uh, CD-ROM for the company, uh, you know, because there weren't specialist people to do it. You, you got given it and you, you had to do it. You had to work it out, um, like I said, by ordering a book from WH Smith snobby. So it, it's interesting that once you learn that skill, and once you learn just how to promote yourself and once you learn how to do, you know, something that looks great and put it online, yes, you can use that in whatever discipline you choose. And what I actually like about what you're doing, Craig, so you, you've just buttered me up there, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butt you up in return, is this, <laughs> this idea of building an audience. And this is something which I wish I'd learned 10 years earlier. Me because, too. you know... People want to sell what, what they want to sell, you know, yeah. instead of going out and finding what people want to buy. And so if you take Vegan Business Tribe, I didn't actually mean to start Vegan Business Tribe. It, it wasn't our idea. So Vegan Business Tribe, it is a community of about 1,500 vegan businesses. Um, we all support each other to, to run uh, professional vegan businesses. We've got the podcast on there. We've got a full marketing course on there. We run uh, business clinics uh, every week. We run um, online meetups and networking events for vegan businesses twice a month. So you know, it's a really active community, and, and I absolutely love it. It's, it's where my heart lays. But it wasn't actually what I set out to build because you rarely find success in the place that you think you're going to find it. You know, I hate the idea of making a business plan because as soon as you make a business plan and you go out and start putting what you're doing in front of consumers and front of customers, it's completely irrelevant because you learn something else through the process of doing that. So, you know, all that planning just goes to waste. 
And what we actually were going to do is I was working as a consultant at the time for these manufacturing companies. And I said, well, I've got this really good skill set. I can help businesses sell more. I can help businesses do marketing better. So instead of working with manufacturing companies, let's go and find these vegan businesses to work with. I can help them sell better. I can help them, you know, uh, grow their business quicker and hopefully knock an animal-based product off the shelf. And I learned a really important life message, a life lesson at that point is that people who set up ethical mission-led businesses have no money. So I was going out to these companies and saying, look, uh, you know, we're vegan, we're marketing experts, uh, myself and Lisa, uh, we, we're, we're very much consultants, we charge £1,500 a day, we want to come and work with you. And, you know, nobody would return the emails and you know, nobody would return the calls because they just didn't have that kind of money. But because I was so good, I got to that point of actually being able to build an audience and being able to actually, you know, shout and get myself noticed on LinkedIn and places like that. We started getting inquiries, not from vegan businesses, but from non-vegan businesses who could see that this whole plant-based marketplace was blowing up and they wanted yeah. part of it, but they didn't know how or why. So we had, um, I can't name them because we're under NDAs, but we had, you know, one of the big um, high street um, fast food restaurant chains got in touch with us and said, look, we're, we're moving over to more plant-based offerings. Can you guys help us out? We got um, a couple of Unilever companies who came to us and said, yeah, absolutely. This is what we need. And so we actually found ourselves working not with the marketplace that we'd, we'd planned to set up and do, but with this completely different thing that we'd, we'd never even thought about. And it was great, you know, uh, earning quite a bit of money from doing it, but it wasn't quite aligning our passion with what we were doing as a living. Mm. And at the time, because I'm, I'm such a tart for becoming an expert, you know, and I'm so good at putting myself out there and just saying, I want to speak at conferences and do things like that. I'd actually got an invite to speak at something called the Plant Powered Expo down at London Olympia. And I was going to go down and talk about plant-based and vegan consumer buying behavior, because that's what I'd made myself into this expert to talk about. And the guy organizing the event, he said, I'll tell you what, that's all really, really interesting. But I've got lots of people who are setting up vegan businesses and they just love to know about your journey of how to set up a vegan business, um, you know, and how to successfully promote a vegan business as well. And I thought, well, that doesn't really play to my plan because if I do that, I'm not going to get Mars. I'm not going to get Unilever. I'm not going to get these big companies come to listen to that. Mm. But I really wanted to get in with this guy because he, he's, he runs all the events. And so I said, okay, I'll give it a go. I'll do half an hour on how to run a successful vegan business. And we turned up at that um, event with our expectations down on the floor, you know, <laughs> who we're going to get, who we're going to get turned up, maybe have one or two people in the audience. And the auditorium was absolutely rammed. It was standing room only. There were 60, 70 people there. And some of them had just come down to the event to hear this one talk. And that's when it clicked. I was like, okay, so we can't work with vegan businesses on consultancy rates and saying we're going to charge you 1500 pounds a day however look at all these people if mm. i can just get a ten of a month out of these people then i've got a business and i can work with them in a collective way i don't have to sit down one by one and help each one i can just start putting out um you know stuff that's really going to help these people and after we did that talk we had a queue of about 30 people just waiting to talk to Lisa and I. You know, we had so many that we actually had to move out of the auditorium because we were stopping the next guy coming on to speaking, um, you know, who just wanted to talk to us about their vegan business and about setting it up. And that's when we realized that was the audience. And that, to be honest, when, was when Vegan Business Tribe was born. Mm. 
you made you made a really interesting wider point there though because you you said it it wasn't you know setting up vegan business tribe the community essentially the the community wasn't the first business but the community is what legitimizes everything else which which is what you touched upon and and that's the that's the idea of promotion a, a lot of the time i i'm on on twitter a large bunch of my audience is designers i'm never going to work with designers um and and i try not to talk much about design but designers just sense it they just know you're a designer (laughs) and uh, they're just honing on you um but what that does a a really good job of is helping legitimize you as an expert when you talk to companies who need design yeah so when uh and weirdly enough probably a year ago now I was on Twitter just starting to mess around with this stuff and I started to get a little bit of traction and somebody from Barnsley ended up DMing me on Twitter to work to work with me. My, inti- my entire intention was to go wider than that, yeah. you know, to be working with, like we do now, people all around the globe. But it ended up being that he'd found me somehow, noticed that I was from Barnsley, noticed that I had a quote-unquote audience and wanted to work with me out of other people because I had the audience. So it's interesting what you mentioned about community because even if it isn't, even if it isn't an audience that can necessarily make you the money the way you want it to, it still serves as a huge legitimizer when you want to sell to other people, which, like you said, is what you found out. Yeah, absolutely it is. And like I say, I wish I'd learned about the power of building an audience 10 years ago. You know, I'd have done so many different things in in the last, you know, the last part of my career. Um, You know, and you're making some, you know, really important points there. First of all, about Barnsley. Barnsley's great. You know, there's so much creative stuff going on (laughs) down in Barnsley that I'm I'm not surprised that happened. Um, But, you know, I mean, I know you're... You're a fight fan, aren't you, Craig? And I know you 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 do a lot of your um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and stuff like that. Yeah. But it, it, if you look, say, at um, boxing now, now, this is something which I, I love at the moment. And I don't know if you know the Paul brothers. So you got you got Jake Paul, you got Logan yeah, Paul. Yeah. yeah, people hate them. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> the YouTubers. YouTubers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Two American YouTubers. People absolutely hate them, and they're now really involved in this whole YouTube boxing. And if you're a proper boxing fan, you'll say, well, it's not really boxing. You know, it's, it's not legitimizing the sport. But you look at Jake Paul, who's who's the younger brother. He had a fight. Was it yesterday, day before, or something like that? He earned 700000 from the fight purse alone. And once you add in the pay-per-view, uh, pay-per-view figures, he's earned several million dollars from doing that. And that was his third pro fight. But if you look at someone like Floyd Mayweather you know, potentially best boxer of our generation for his third fight, he earned $7,000 and nobody watched it. And that is the power of building an audience first. You know, the Pauls have got so, um, you know, they can earn millions and millions from having a boxing match, even if it's, it's pro boxing match, but people would say, you know, it's not necessarily pro boxing, Um, but they're earning millions more than the best boxer of our generation were at that point in their career because they built that audience first and they found out what that audience wanted. And that's a little bit what we did with vegan business tribe. So again, we didn't just launch it as this, you know, paid community and ask lots of people to come, come and join in. Uh, What we actually did was say, right i'm not quite sure how this works yet so what i'm going to do is i'm going to set up a landing page i'm going to put a little bit of content behind the paywall but you don't need to pay for it 
All you've got to do is register with your email address and let's see what we get. Fortunately, we were earning some decent money at the time, you know, working with these big food companies who were wanting our help. So we did a little bit of a Robin Hood exercise. We we, we took the money we were earning from these companies um, and we said, let's use it, see if we can build up an audience. So put some money into Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising, a bit of pay-per-click, just to see if we could actually get people to a site to put in their email address to get some information to help them grow a vegan business. And it's this whole idea, which I'm sure you've talked about before, about, you know, having a minimal viable product don't go and spend months building a website don't go and spend thousands of pounds setting something up that you haven't tested first and that's what we did with vegan business tribe i said how many people can we actually get to sign up to this and within probably three or four months we got 500 people to sign up and that was bang okay this is now an audience this is something that people want now what they want I had lots of ideas and, um, you know, what I love about having a community to talk to is they constantly prove you wrong. They constantly (laughs) tell you that the ideas you've had for what's going to work is just a load of rubbish. And so, you know, we went to these, um, uh, this audience that we built, I had my idea for the site. I was saying it's going to be twelve ninety nine a month. And for that, you'll get all this amazing content. You know, we're going to release new content every week. We're going to have a different interview every week. And that's going to be for twelve ninety nine a month. Would you pay for this? And every single one of them, apart from three people, said no. And so it's like, well, what do you do with that? So, you know, we went back to them and said, well, what would you pay for? And they said, well, actually, the content's brilliant. We love the content. The content is what brought us here, but it's not what we want to pay for. We still want the content, but, but we, you know, we, the world we live in, we don't want to pay twelve ninety nine just to be reading articles. They said, what we'd actually like is for you to teach us how to market our business. What we'd actually like is an area where we can meet other vegan business owners so we can support each other and start collaborating on. And that's when, you know, the, the penny dropped and everything started to click. Um, you know, this is what people wanted. And so that's what we built. And really interesting with that was, as I've said before, you should never just go and build something and hope that that's what people want. You need to prove it first. The fact that I had these 500 people saying, we want a marketing course on how to better promote a vegan business. That meant that I could build something knowing that I already had people to buy it at the end. And that was so important because the course I actually ended up producing and putting together, it's 95,000 words. It's huge. You know, it's, it's a case of my 20 years experience of being a marketeer, a designer, working with a Chartered Institute of Marketing and everything else in the world, I'm going to put that into a marketing course, which is viewed through the lens of veganism and if you're a vegan business. And that was amazing to do. And it gave me the motivation to do it. And I did it in about two months um, just because I knew I already had the audience there to buy it once it was complete. Mm. What, you, what you've discovered with the whole audience thing is this, by the way, I've only just discovered this in the last year. I've been running a design agency for 10 years and yeah. I've only really discovered it in the last year. What you discovered is, I, I think this is true for most people now that an audience is probably the most powerful asset that you can build in, in any business and not and not just an audience business. So for example, I've got the agency Genius Division, not an audience for Genius Division, an audience for yourself as, as the individual as well, because that audience that you build as an individual, it's like this portable asset that you can turn to anything that you do in the future. To, to go back to the Paul Brothers example, Logan Paul, 
if they started race driving tomorrow, if they started driving cars or rally driving, they'd have an instant audience. If if they decided to, oh, I don't know, start a fashion show, they'd have an instant audience. No matter what they turn their attention to, they're going to have an, an instant revenue stream at, at, at the other end of it. I didn't realize that for, for so, so, so long. It's painful. And, and I used to look at, when you first started doing this kind of thing with the whole manufacturing expert and things, when you first started doing that kind of thing and I saw other people doing it, I used to look at it and think, oh, what a wanker. You know, you know it's, it's, ju- it's, just, it's just fake. Uh, and I used to look at it with derision, uh, not really realising the technicalities of it and the importance of it. And I, I, having, you know, having my own podcast a couple of years ago would have been ridiculous all that stuff, that audience stuff, if I could get through to anybody, one message would be to start building your audience as soon as you can in your career. So you can, I mean, I don't want to make you feel guilty or bad or anything, but imagine if you've been building an audience for like 30 or 40 years now. Imagine when you turn to the whole vegan thing then and you and you could you might have had a an email list of 50,000 people or something and a YouTube channel and a podcast and that it's just amazing, isn't it? It is. But uh, you know, as the country's leading expert on manufacturing uh, marketing, <laughs> I had an email list of 20,000, uh, you know, th- that was a big thing to turn my back on. Um, yeah. you know, it, it, it was regular work. Um, when you're working with companies of that size, you know, we, we were building websites that we we're invoicing at 60, 70 grand, but to get that work, that would take two years. You know, it, it would take two years of getting to know the company, of maybe just doing some small work with them first and waiting to their, got to that point of their natural cycle when they needed a new website yeah. and making sure that when they got there, you were leading that conversation. And, you know, when they're paying that much money, it always goes out to five different tenders. So you had to have such an amazing relationship with them. And it was all that building up the relationship before you could actually win the work. So I had companies who I knew were going to drop with very large projects in the next few months. And I had ones that I knew would be dropping with very large projects in the next six months and then in the next 12 months because I'd, I'd spent years lining, you know, all these companies up. So actually walking away from that, you're 100% right. It's a big thing to do. And that's why you need to align your audience with a passion. So, yes, you can build up an audience around anything. But if you've got something where you've got a real point of commonality with them and they're on the same mission as you as well, then that's when you've got everything you need to win. So I could, you know, go build up this, this audience of of manufacturers and they'd always be quite passive in following me. You know, if I had something to say, they'd maybe listen if they're interested in that time. Now I've built up a tribe around me of people who are on a similar mission to me, then that's so much easier to communicate with these people as well. And as I was saying, they're they're just great at proving you wrong. So we're just about to do a big consultation with, with our vegan business tribe members of, you know, what do they want to see next? And one of the things I was really, really wanting to do was a YouTube channel because just like yourself, I've made lots of videos in the past. I enjoy making videos. I like the whole idea of being on YouTube because then my kids can see me and they say, actually, my, my, my dad's cool because he's a YouTuber. They, they never say that. <laughs> but, you know, and I was absolutely adamant. I want to do a YouTube channel. But because I'd learned that everything we'd first thought of what this audience wanted was wrong i went back to the audience first and not just through surveying i got them on zoom you know so i picked out people who were really passionate about what we're doing the ones who are interacting the most and said can i get you for half an hour on zoom just to talk to you about what we're doing Mm. and from that 
I asked people, how do you best consume your information? And they all said podcasts. And I'm like, but I don't want to do a podcast. You know, <laughs> I've, I've tried podcasting before. It's not as exciting as YouTube. Um, and so I said, well, okay, everyone wants a podcast. So we will launch a podcast. I will launch the Vegan Business Tribe podcast. I'll do it weekly. I'll make it really good. Um, but sneakily on the side, I'm going to launch YouTube as well. And our YouTube channel, the videos maybe get into double figures if we're lucky. And the podcast has just gone like that. You know, yeah. it's it, it, in such a small amount of time. And that's because that's listening to the audience and, and, you know, them telling us what we wanted. So, so yeah, absolutely. There is power in that audience. But if you can find that absolute niche audience who really love what you do and really connect with your mission, then that's where, I don't know what we call this, you know, that, that, that's the super audience. They're, they're the people who yeah. can absolutely make your business. Well, it's, have you heard of 1,000 true fans before? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's that yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah. That that's what you've found the the thousand true fans. But yeah. is is the reason this time just parking the passion thing at the side for a second? Mm-hmm. Is the reason that the audience maybe feels more genuine this time is because you're being yourself. So the audience is is really around Dave now, whereas before it was around Dave, the manufacturing expert, where you've got to be really formal and really you got to wear a high vis jacket all the time and that kind of thing. <laughs> is it, yeah, helmet. Is 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 that part of the reason as well that you feel like you're more this yourself now? Because I'm a big believer. Because so to put some context to it, mm-hmm. a year ago when I decided to take Twitter seriously, I made a very conscious decision not to talk about design so i I wasn't gonna be the design expert or the marketing expert or whatever i was gonna be me because i'm I'm a big believer of this thing that gary vaynerchuk said a long time ago about building your own tv channel so it, it isn't the idea of just building a tv channel it's the idea of just building building content around you gary vaynerchuk made his entire fame from this he literally had a cameraman following a following him around all day long for a couple of years and it built his entire fame online. So I, I, there was two ways I could take it, become the expert or become more of me, I guess maybe me exaggerated. So I, I went around this structure, which is the way that I've followed for the last year, where I do talk about design and I do talk about marketing and all that kind of thing, but actually it's a lot more self-referential than that. I'm actually, a lot of the time, talking about me or my life or the things that I'm learning or new things that I'm trying. So the reason I put that context to it is, is that the reason why you feel maybe it's a, a little bit better this time? It's more you rather than manufacturing you. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Authenticity is the most hated word in marketing. I'm sure you know, because marketeers always say you need to be authentic. You need to be your authentic self and stuff like that. And a lot of the time, it's just a load of crap. It's just a load of rubbish. Um, It's about pretending to be authentic and pretending to care about something. But you are 100% right. You know, when you hit that stride, when you are just being yourself, it completely changes. And I know that if someone would come and, you know, see me talk from several years ago, 
you know, and we used to do quite a lot of talks back then. I, I used to, um, four times a year, I'd fill out the big auditorium at the mill complex that we worked in. We'd have 70 or 80 businesses and they come down to our marketing boot camps. And I'd speak for three hours about all different things of marketing. And I was just on autopilot half the time. You know, I'd done it so many times before. And I think people know that as well. Yeah. Whereas now, if I talk about veganism and a vegan business, then you can tell I've got passion about it. You can tell it's something I absolutely love. And I would have said a couple of years ago, the whole idea about authenticity was complete rubbish that, you know, it's just people pretend to be authentic, Mm -hmm. but the more you can actually open yourself up and it's not necessarily authenticity, um, it's vulnerability. And that's what people seem to connect with the fact that, everyone is pretending to be somebody else. And, you know, we talk about imposter syndrome a lot of the time that everyone is pretending. And if you can get past that and stop actually pretending to be something because you're too scared to be yourself. Mm. Absolutely. That is when the magic happens. I think one thing which really hammered it home um, for me is uh, my, my partner, Lisa is autistic. Now she didn't know she was autistic for most of her life. She only got diagnosed um, about a year and a half ago. And, it just made her life fall into place. When you view Lisa through the lens of autism, everything just makes sense about her. And she'd she'd struggled a lot with, you know, coping with different situations and things like that. And she wasn't sure herself if she could go public with this, if she should actually say, look, I'm autistic because it is a disability. People will say, do I actually want to work with someone who's autistic? Do I actually want to be paying money to someone to help my business if, if, if I know that they've got a disability? Yeah. But we said, no, you know, if, if we don't come out and actually talk about autism, then we're part of the problem. So yeah. Lisa went public. She made a very public post about it. We talked about it through Vegan Business Tribe. And we have never had such a positive response to any post I've done on any platform before, just with so many people coming out and saying, this is amazing. You know, she got asked to go speak at events. She got invited onto podcasts just for being herself, um, you know, and it's the type of marketing that we, we couldn't have paid for, you know, to yeah. get to get th- that kind of audience interacting with you just because you're being yourself and your authentic self. That that is literally the only piece of marketing I've ever. Well, you can't call it marketing; it's her story. But that's <laughs> yeah. the only thing I've ever read that Lisa's put out. I remember reading yeah. it on Facebook. I never go on Facebook, and for whatever reason, I went on Facebook that day. You you probably shared it, and I saw it, and I sat and read through this huge article oh, that she wrote. And it was massive. It, 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 yeah. it took you know ten, ten minutes to read through it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and, and as soon as I got the to the end of it. Just by reading that one thing, I, I, I knew her better than watching 20 professional YouTube videos that she, she may have put together previous to that or a podcast or whatever. I, I completely agree with you. There was two things over the last two days I put out on Twitter about this. One of them didn't get that great of a reaction. <laughs> uh, but I do I do believe passionately in this. This, this idea of being a professional this idea of there's there's kind of two sides to being a professional one of them's expected so when you're doing your craft for example when whatever your craft is you should be professional in the way that you deliver that you should turn up to meetings on time you you should do a good job that's what profession being professional means but this idea of being professional in quotation marks is the thing and the problem that pervades linkedin and Twitter and all these places most of the time where people are afraid of being themselves 
because they want to appear professional. And yeah. the, the, problem, the problem with appearing professional is that nobody gives a shit. You you you're boring. You're 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 just beige walls, are you? When you when you're trying to be professional, rather than just being a, good at your job, and and I and I've spent the, the the last year really kind of embracing this on on Twitter. Not one person has has ever come out and said, you know what what you said was wrong, or, or well, people have said what you said was wrong, but no one's ever been offended by anything they said. I, you know, I'm not making offensive content. I'm not saying do that. I'm just being myself. Maybe sometimes I make a swear word. Maybe sometimes I make jokes. Oh my god, that that's the kind of thing I was I was thinking of. And then the other thing was a video I put out today about being imperfect, and I think being imperfect is one of the most powerful tools you can use when you're being yourself. I, I'm not sure about the idea of authenticity. We're different people at different times of every single day. Sometimes we're angry. Sometimes we're sad. You know. Sometimes we 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 just present different ways on different days. But I do passionately believe that when we allow ourselves to just be a little bit imperfect, basically be ourselves, humanity is, is imperfect. We connect with imperfections. That's really what we want to see. I don't want to see Dave Pennell on the screen right now with beautiful, long, flowing hair and fake teeth. I, uh, <laughs> You might wish you looked like that, but I, 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 you know what I mean? I want to see you imperfect. Do you know what I mean? This is all starting to get a bit sexy, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I know 100% what you mean. I, I did watch your video that you did on, on Imperfect Twitter, I think you called it, didn't you? Mm. You know, And I 100% agree with that. Um, but it's hard to do. It's really, yeah. really hard to do because Scary. if you look at, yeah, if you look at when Lisa, you know, came out with her veganism, I don't think we'd have done that in our previous business. Mm. Um, you know, when, when we had people who were giving us such large budgets, you know, to do quite important things in their business, I don't think we'd have been able to come out and say, yes, you know, look, uh, Lisa has a, has a disability. Lisa has something that actually changes her perception of the world. Even though these people had worked with Lisa and she'd been their account manager for, you know, three, four years, I don't think we'd have been able to come out and say that. Um, so, you, you know, your point on, you know, authenticity that we present differently at, at, at different times, it is important just to actually present as yourself. And we, we ran a session as one of our vegan business tribe online panels where we brought people together to talk about business taboos. So the things that we don't talk about in business. And I found someone, um, a, a vegan business owner whose first business had spectacularly failed, um, you know, and to actually just talk about failure was a huge thing. And to actually find somebody who'd talk about failure was a huge thing as well, you know, because people yeah. won't talk about businesses failing. But you can learn actually so much more from having a business that fails than you can from a business that just bumps along and doesn't do anything for a few years. Um, we got somebody um, who had suffered a mental health breakdown um, for their business. Um, we bought in somebody who had got lots of debts in their business as well and how they managed that. And then we brought in Lisa as well about working with a hidden disability. And this online panel of just all of us just being honest and saying these are the things that people don't talk about was just an amazing session to do. And it was such a, like an empowering session to do. And it's probably what got the best feedback out of any content that we've put out there. I, I always find the same whenever I make something that's, that's, that's just off the, off the cuff, that's what I'm feeling that day or anything like that. Whenever you show a little bit of vulnerability and it feels a bit crass talking about it now, you know, 
actually no. promoting your vulnerability right rather than j- just letting yourself be vulnerable whenever you do that it always it's always the best kind of content because i think people really want to see it because nobody even though we present this and i find it particularly bad on on linkedin maybe we could talk about that for 5 minutes because it's not my favorite place i find this particularly bad on linkedin where there is a just a wall of perfection that, that gets presented to you. you. You know you don't buy it. You know that they've had failures yeah. or their business is not doing that well or, or whatever, but everybody seems to be in this shared world of perfection, which, which results in, in in everybody just kind of just being all the same across across the platform. So when somebody, and I know one particular person who I do follow on LinkedIn, I met him at one networking event once, it's quite surprising that I still remember him. Uh, he's just an IT consultant. But the content that he puts out on LinkedIn is fantastic because he's himself. And he, he actually swears on LinkedIn. Oh, my God. And he, he makes he makes these carousel posts that are like little um, little drawings. Uh, and, and they're usually funny and usually like memes and things like that. Then it's not it, Most of it is nothing to do with IT. But I've been trying to get him on the podcast for a while because it's done really well for his business just by being his cheeky, chappy, silly self. You think, you know, IT consultants, they're like one of the really high professional bars, aren't they? They're the kind of people who are expected to be, well, when you think of an IT person, what do you think of? A boring guy. So he stands out really far in the industry because he isn't like that. So yeah, it's it's interesting. It is. Um, you, you're just talking about LinkedIn there as well, especially. You know, I mean, how I now approach LinkedIn has completely changed. And again, it's because I don't always have that one eye on that dream client who might come and drop in, who maybe will you know go look at something I've done on LinkedIn and say, well, this guy isn't for us. Because I'm mm. not doing that more now, I can be so much more free on LinkedIn. And it's interesting that everyone picks the platform, you know, which they do really well on. You, you, you're doing you know really good things on Twitter at the moment. Some people pick Facebook, some people might pick Pinterest. Um, because of my background, I absolutely love LinkedIn. Um, and I don't know if you get into the the old motivational stuff. So, you know, if you go back into the 70s and the 80s, there used to be so many motivational speakers and people, you know, writing about positive mental attitudes and there were people like Zig Ziglar and uh, Jim Ron and people like this. But they picked up a lot of truth from the time. Uh, Jim Ron is, is a special guy that I used to listen to a lot when I was younger. And he said, you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. And that's actually really important to remember. So if you are spending your time with people who are being, I don't necessarily like the word false, but they're they're presenting a certain sort of image, then you have to present that image as well. Whereas if you spend your time surrounded by people who are just being themselves, being very authentic and being quite vulnerable as well, then you start to think, actually, this is fine for me to do too. And so what I tend to do on LinkedIn now is, you know, LinkedIn's a bit like Pokemon. You know, you, you've, you've got to collect them all. You, you, it's all about how many people can you get to connect with you and, you know, build up your, your connections and things like that. But you can so often have people on LinkedIn that you're connected with and you don't know them. They've sent you a connection request, you accept it, and you like ships that pass in the night. You will never learn anything about them again. So what I do on LinkedIn now is every time I get a LinkedIn request, I've got a very simple two-sentence message that I send everybody. And I say, thank you so much for LinkedIn. Have we been introduced before? 
And I get something like a 70% response rate to that. And people are surprised. People are actually surprised that I'm saying, hi, you know, who are you? Do, do we know each other? And they will come back with all sorts of, inf- you know, interesting information. And I've made some stunning connections through doing that. Um, I've actually got the head of um, the chief operating officer of, of Alizam's, you know, huge insurance company, um, you know, multi-billion turnover, who I'm now chatting to on LinkedIn because I sent him that message. And he's now saying, actually, you know, we, we, we should look at maybe setting something up maybe we should be chatting about what you guys are doing and that and that's just because i was being human on linkedin and that's something that just people don't do anymore yeah yeah absolutely i do a very similar thing on on twitter when uh, it's got a bit out of hand now i can't do it for everybody because you can't as you can't as easily do it on on linkedin there's like a hard gate really isn't there you you click like uh, you click accept you don't it doesn't happen on twitter but yeah. w- with a lot of people, what I started doing was saying, oh, thanks for following me. How's your Sunday? So I, I'd, put, I'd put the day in there. Uh, and, and you just have this little conversation with, with somebody, uh, you know, oh, my, my day's really good. How's your day been? And it's just like this nice little five-minute conversation that you have with somebody that people, you know, you're on a social media network, <laughs> but people seem to have forgotten that potentially you could be social on there and they're really yeah. surprised when you actually talk to them it's quite weird it is but what, what i sort of love about it is you can do a little bit of triage as well so you know if somebody replies to that and they're not particularly interested in what you're doing or you know there isn't any reason to get to know them better then people are actually really accepting if you don't respond or if you don't actually um, you know respond for a really long time because it is almost seen as a bit like you know sh- shooting an arrow out into the dark sometimes so i do try and do a little bit of triage and those people who i'm thinking actually there could be something here there could be something actually that will lead to something new i will put time aside to actually have a conversation with them and i'll, I'll maybe set up a call or something like that everybody else i'm very happy to send a, a pleasantry back of saying that's absolutely amazing I'll, I'll look out for what you post in the future and it just you know shifts those people over so you can concentrate on the people you know that you really want to concentrate in because i think one thing um which you're highlighting there is you're incredibly good at doing stuff. And I know, you know, this has become a bit of your brand as well of saying, you know, how do you actually just get stuff done? How can you get busy? But you can fall into the trap of everything you're doing, actually creating more stuff that you need to keep up on. And that example there is perfect. Um, You know, if I spend an hour sending out emails, for instance, two hours later, I'll have twice as many emails back. And it's just perpetually, you know, it goes on and on and on and on. So you have to have a little bit of focus to what you're doing. So, yes, it's great just to have these conversations. But if you can use some triage to say, okay, out of all these people, these three are ones that actually might lead somewhere. So I'm going to concentrate on these. All the rest of you don't want to be rude, but you're going to get a very short answer. And then, you know, off into the archive. That's brilliant. You know, that actually really helps out. How, how have you found LinkedIn in terms of creating, I don't know how much of this is a concern for you, but creating mm-hmm. a global network rather than just quite a localized one? Because on my experience with LinkedIn, it's usually friends of friends who tend to add you, isn't it? So yeah. mine isn't that global, but on Twitter, I've got a very global network of people that I chat to very regularly. How is it for you on LinkedIn? Well, that's interesting. And that comes back down to your niche again as well. So because I'm talking about the the vegan world and the vegan sphere, that's something which is links people globally. 
It doesn't mm. matter where you are in the world. If you're vegan and you're passionate about the vegan cause, you don't care where somebody else in the world is. You want to link up with them. It, it's a global issue. It's a global problem. So we found we're actually picking up lots of um, not just LinkedIn connections, but members as well from people all over the world because we're talking about this common idea and this commonality of it, which binds everyone together. So again, I think that comes down to your niche. Um, that if you are wanting to make more, more global connections, you have to go beyond just, um, you know, the people who are living in your area and the people who are working in your area. You've got to find something which goes beyond boundaries, as it were. Mm. Yeah, I keep meaning to get back into LinkedIn and giving it another try. It, it's 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 changed so much over the, even, even these last five years or something. It's almost Facebooky now, and I yeah. absolutely hate Facebook. So... I, I, I'm, I'm very resistant to go into it, but I, I'm feeling a little bit that kind of resistance that I felt that I was talking about before, where I was I was saying to you, or oh, those kind of people that were promoting themselves in that way, I didn't like it. So yeah. I'm feeling a little bit like that with LinkedIn. I think because because LinkedIn is old business me and Twitter is new business me. I feel I almost feel like I've got to delete my LinkedIn. Uh, and kind of start again with it or, or something but it's definitely the next one that's that's on my list a couple of people have mentioned to me tiktok and things like that i've got no interest with tiktok whatsoever even though i know you upload videos to tiktok and it's still a, a very sticky medium so you can get a lot of followers mm -hmm. but you're kind of just building attention for attention's sake uh, mm -hmm. it's not for the right reasons you know what i mean yeah, and it's, it's do you want to build followers or do you want to progress your career? And yeah. if you want to progress your, career, progress your career, that's where LinkedIn comes in. Because if I wanted to speak to a certain executive in a company, for instance, I could not get hold of that executive by just going to that company. I couldn't pick up the phone and call them. I couldn't find their email address. If I was to actually want to get in with a business, for instance, and I sent them an Instagram message or I sent them uh, a Twitter message or something like that, the people who would actually be reading that and seeing that are the lowest people in that company. They are absolutely, you know, it's it's the social media intern. It's the person who's, uh, you know, been brought in for the holidays just to man the Twitter responses and things like that. Um, so people spend all this time saying, right, I've got, I want to get noticed by this company. So I'm going to go like all their Instagram posts. I'm going to go, you know, like everything they do. But the actual decision makers in that company just don't see any of that. Whereas on LinkedIn, if I find someone on LinkedIn, and especially if I've got a link between the two people, so I, I'm already linked to somebody that they know, and I connect with them and send them a message, that person's phone goes ping. And that's so powerful. That is absolutely amazing. You know, it is a direct line through to the decision makers in the business. And some of the people I've got into conversations with is absolutely ridiculous. I've got no right at all to get through to these people. I've got no right at all to actually, you know, have a back and forth conversation with them. And LinkedIn is the only place I could ever look to do that. I think that's a perfect place to end it uh, on, on your uh, good LinkedIn story. Uh, th this has been a lot of fun we should have done this sooner it's, it's been way too long <laughs> we didn't even get to talking about veganism or anything like that i i i, I want to talk to you again about it at some point because uh i think it'd be a really interesting topic to talk about it's something i've not really got that much uh knowledge about so i think it, it'd be fun you've got about 20 seconds if you want to quickly promote anything or say anything 
Yeah, of course, Craig. What one thing I, I would say is, you know, it, it, if people are more interested about what we're doing at Vegan Business Tribe, go go have a look at the website veganbusinesstribe.com. And um, if, if anybody knows anyone who is looking to sell into the vegan marketplace or is setting up a vegan business, then you know, send them down to look at it because when you've got people who are on the same mission as you, and if you can surround people who are doing exactly what you're doing on the same mission, that's when business gets really exciting. It gets fun and it gets successful at the same time. So yeah, all I'm going to promote in my last 20 seconds is go have a look at Vegan Business Drive and, and tell us what you think. <laughs> oh, That's too long one. We'll cut that one there. You went just a couple of seconds over and I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave this in as well. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I feel like I'm getting extras, Craig. Yeah, yeah, you are. Always. You're always getting extras. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Craig. I've really enjoyed this. <laughs>